thank you, choir and praise team, for a wonderful opportunity of worship today. Appreciate you leading us in that very special time. Uh, good morning from your South Carolina Baptist Convention, of which you are an integral and very important part because you are a leading church in our state convention that seeks to reach our state, nation, and world with the good news of Jesus, our Lord. I I so much appreciate your pastor, Brother Steve. He's a dear friend, and I thank you for the opportunity that he's extended to, to me to be here today. I pray for him as he and his wife are uh, touring and re being refreshed, and I, I thank you as a church for allowing your pastor to experience opportunities like that. Uh, that's very needed, very important, and commend you for that. Um, always be good to your pastor. Always be good to your staff. Uh, being a minister today is not like it used to be. It used to be if you were a minister, you were viewed by, at least in the South, as a community leader with great respect, but those days are long gone. In fact, about the only place you see a minister respected today is, is in the church, and sometimes that's a little iffy. So uh, I want you to just be commended for how you treat your pastor and your church staff um, we have a difficult time even in our own convention with forced terminations and even tragically pastor suicides. And so it's a high-stress position. So always look after your staff. Uh, do like you've done. Send them to uh, the Holy Land on special occasions. Uh, round trip. Uh, just, just, be, just be good to them as they serve. Uh, appreciate Betty on your, uh, one of your members. She was on the search team that brought me to South Carolina. So she gets the credit or, or not for uh, being in that position, but just a dear friend and lady and appreciate so much her ministry. And again, thank you for being the, the key and exemplary church you are in our convention life. You are one of 2,136 churches last count in the South Carolina Baptist Convention that relate through the Southern Baptist Convention, which is comprised of about 45,000 churches that seek to not only, from a defensive perspective, uh, stop the avalanche of secularism that seems to be sweeping across our land, but from an offensive perspective, seeking to reclaim captured ground that has been lost to Satan and reach this state, nation, and world with the good news of Jesus our Lord. In that regard, would you please turn today in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 as we want to look at what our Lord expects from us regardless of what's going around in our nation. When our Lord gave the Great Commission and later uh, explained what that meant and how it would be lived out, the world was a very dangerous place. Uh, it was given by our Lord immediately following his crucifixion and his resurrection. And yet uh, Rome still held sway. Uh, the church was and would be even more intensely persecuted. Uh, those were not happy days. Those were not days of ease and comfort. But rather they were days that were highly stressful. They were days that caused great alarm and concern. Um, perhaps not that dissimilar from the days we live in today. I was listening, as you do, uh, to the news driving up today about uh, uh, ISIS in Iraq uh, taking many of the areas that we liberated. Uh, now 
uh, radical Islamists taking over much of northern Iraq, and we wonder how all that's going to turn out. We see on our own southern border um, unrestrained uh, crossing of our borders, and we wonder what, what's happening there. We see from an economic perspective today uh, countries like China rising economically and militarily, and we wonder what are the long-term implications of that, particularly in the Pacific realm and related to Japan and then North Korea, and you go on and on and on. And you say, well, goodness, we are living in very turbulent times, aren't we? Well, that was what the times were when our, our church churches started and our faith was birthed. And in those turbulent times then and in our turbulent times now, God has a very specific word for what we are to be doing. And in the turbulent times, our Lord had assembled his disciples immediately prior to his ascension to heaven and said to them in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, Father, we pray now as we examine Holy Scripture that your Holy Spirit will be our guide and teacher. Help us, we pray, even in times of great concern and adversity, to remain steadfast and focused on what your admonitions for us are, on what your expectations for us are, and what your desires for us are. No doubt this morning, Father, there are many gathered here and will be in the next service as well that are, that are facing some uh, great calamities in life. Uh, some are struggling with some, some life concerns that seem to be far beyond human solution. And yet we know that you honor faithfulness. Yet we know you honor obedience. And blessings follow obedience. And if we'll but stay focused on the priorities of our Lord and honor to him all the issues that seem to be so perplexing, so overwhelming, can be and will be miraculously resolved. Guide us now, we pray, as we look at your word. Help us to apply these words to our lives personally as well as our church life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are so thankful that we, on this July 4th weekend, celebrate the birthday of our nation. But we also look at the spiritual vitality of our nation and our, our folks with great concern and alarm. And and. And one area I think that we need to perhaps refocus is in the area of the instructions our Lord gave us and believing that if we will be faithful to follow the instructions he gave us, uh, even our nation will be the beneficiary. Our nation that's so wavered and so lost needs to be reclaimed. And I, like so many of you, uh, I, I was watching the fireworks the other night and I love to sing the patriotic songs and and I love being an American but I'm so burdened for our land and and today I want to challenge us to, to get back to the biblical basics of what God expects of each of us and that will bring if we do that bring hope to our nation. Now, Jesus says if we are 
filled with the Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, if you are a Spirit-filled Christian, uh, that is, you are walking in the Spirit. That is, you are not harboring sin that you are unwilling to release or unwilling to repent of. Psalm 66, 18 tells us, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That is, if we have unconfessed sin, we have sin that we are refusing to release, God says, I won't hear your prayer. Now, that means the prayers you pray for your children. That means the prayers you pray for your grandchildren. That means the prayers you pray for your neighbor, for your spouse, loved ones. God says, if you regard, if you hold on to, refuse to release sin, I won't hear your prayer. We're admonished in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or foolishness, but in contrast, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And God's command for us is to be spirit-filled. How are we spirit-filled? By confession and repentance of sin and allowance of the Holy Spirit to take charge and take over. And when the Holy Spirit takes charge and sin has been forsaken, this is what we'll do. This is what we're about as Jesus admonished his disciples in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. He says, you'll be my witness. You will be my witness visually in how you live your life. You'll be my witness verbally in how you share your words. You'll be my witness visually and verbally where? He says, in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, from your state convention perspective, as we are in partnership, and we're better together, we can accomplish far more as fellowships of churches working together than we ever could out by ourselves. And we've kind of broken down Acts 1-8 from our state convention perspective to see how we can effectively do work. So Jerusalem is your area. It's where you live, your community. Judea is our nation, America. A Samaria are adjoining nations. And uttermost parts of the earth, uh, those are the unreached people groups of the world. And so from your convention perspective, we in partnership with our churches seek to address all those areas. Now, Jerusalem primarily is your local area and your local association. So our involvement is not as much in that regard. We primarily work more specifically with you in Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. And notice our Lord says, you'll be a witness to the end of the earth. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says that we'll take the gospel to all the nations, all the people groups of the world. So if our ultimate aim, if our ultimate goal as believers in Christ that are spirit-filled with God's Holy Spirit is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody, everywhere, if that's, if that's where we're to wind up, then that's our ultimate aim and target. So that's what we're shooting for, to take the gospel to the whole world. And then we back up from there to see how do we do it, kind of break it down. Now, how do we get there? It's kind of like uh, Jerry Falwell said I, when I was a pastor in Virginia. I got to know Dr. Falwell, and he said he wanted, the, he wanted on his tombstone the words, <clears throat> and the beggar died. Well, <clears throat> they're not on there, by the way. His family overruled him. 
But uh, you decide what you want on your tombstone, then you work backwards. I remember reading uh, one inscription on tombstone, and it said, I told you I was sick, but we're not, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what do you want said at your funeral service, and you, you work to make sure it happens. As far as the church goes, we decided all right, where we're supposed to wind up, taking the gospel of the whole world, all right, let's back up and see how do we get there. And our Lord breaks it down. You start in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, for the most part, Jerusalem being your community, your area, your church field. <clears throat> now, collectively, as South Carolina Baptists, uh, we work perhaps through your association, Brother Mike, your director of missions, through your church, Brother Steve, your pastor, in a variety of ministries. You give through the cooperative program that supports those ministries, but also you work through ministries like disaster relief. And disaster relief is one of the best things we do. Uh, we we'll have usually well over a 1,000 South Carolina Baptists dispersed not only in our state but uh, around the nation when flooding occurs, when hurricanes occur. We'll have some, I'm sure, on the coast of South and North Carolina uh, this week as a result of the damage from the hurricane that just happened up along the East Coast. And, and perhaps some of you are going to be involved in that, in that effort. And that gives a, a great witness to an unbelieving world that we care. And we give cups of cold water in Jesus' name. And I want to encourage you, if you've never been a part of disaster relief ministry, to get trained. We have trainings twice a year, usually down at White Oak Conference Center, which is just down the road from you. And there are great opportunities to be equipped to serve when crisis comes. Uh, through not necessarily, uh, you don't have to always run a chainsaw. Uh, you can run a laundry unit. You can run a, a feeding unit. You can do crisis counseling. There are multiple opportunities to assist in disaster relief. So one of the areas we assist in, in our Jerusalem perspective, our local perspective, is in and through disaster relief ministries. Also through our Baptist campus ministries. We have eight full-time Baptist campus ministers here in South Carolina on our state university campuses. You have one here at Winthrop. And those state university campuses are seeing literally historic conversions to Christ. I don't know that we've ever seen as many on our state university campuses trusting Christ as we're seeing today. And as a result, mission opportunities, short-term mission opportunities have gone through the roof. When I came here about seven years ago, we were sending about 40-something state university college students a year on short-term projects. Through the work of our terrific Baptist campus ministers and local churches that assist, that number is over 200 a year now. God's just doing a great work. We thank the Lord for our Baptist schools of North Greenville and Anderson and Charleston Southern. But also, don't forget, you've got folks on the front lines, boots on the ground, missionaries on your college campuses doing a terrific profound work and that's part of our jerusalem ministry leading people to christ on the campus students christ on the campus discipling them in the faith and believing god will call some of them to take the gospel to judea samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth and through your cooperative program giving you support all those efforts but in your judea effort you also support our work in partnership with our north american mission board seeking to reclaim our nation for Christ. We have three partnerships as South Carolina Baptists with our North American Mission Board. One is in Atlanta. 
once Cleveland, Ohio, and now we've recently adopted New York City. Atlanta's population, Metro Atlanta's population, is about 6 million people. Now, South Carolina state population is about 4.8 million people. There are more people in Metro Atlanta than there are in our state of South Carolina. 80-plus languages are spoken in Atlanta, which is just hop on 85, and you're there in about three and a half hours. It is a mission field, so much so that the North American Mission Board has stated and researched and determined that the population to church ratio is no better in Atlanta than it is in the secular cities of the north. And as a result, South Carolina has partnered, and we're sending between seven and 800 volunteers a year to our Atlanta partnership, and there are 50-plus church plants now in Atlanta that didn't exist five years ago. Many of them are house-type churches because property is so expensive, and so they're meeting in homes or community centers, but people are being reached for faith in Jesus Christ in ways we wouldn't dream of five years ago. And that's part of our partnership. Another, not only Atlanta, is Cleveland, Ohio. If you hop on 77, which is nearby, uh, it ends in Cleveland, Ohio. We call it our Columbia partnership because uh, 77 starts in Columbia and ends in Cleveland. It's a 12-hour bus ride, but for you it's about a it's an half-hour bus ride. And Cleveland used to be called the mistake by the lake. It's on Lake Erie. And uh, if, if, you don't, if you don't stop at the end of 77, you go into the lake. So where you stop is where we're partnering. The ratio of Baptist to population in Cleveland, Ohio, is one Baptist church for every 42,000 people. Now, to put that into perspective, in South Carolina... Our ratio in the upstate, in some areas, the upstate is 1 to 1,000. As you move closer to the coast, it rises to about 1 to 3,000. Cleveland is 1 to 42,000, one church for every 42,000 people, and there aren't that many other evangelicals. It is a mission field. Kevin Litchfield is the director of missions that we partner with. He is a South Carolinian. And so we thank the Lord that we've got these Judea partnerships like the one in Atlanta, and Cleveland because we are better together. We can accomplish far more by working together than we ever can out by ourselves. Our other one is New York City. New York City is 38% foreign-born. 38% of New York City population is born not in America but some other country. It is a mission field. And so we're partnering in New York City, training people. Again, our ultimate goal is to reach the nations of the gospel training people how to work in cross-cultural ministries without ever having to go overseas. And there are two or three ministries there we're partnering with where if you can go for a short term, like two weeks, up to two years, learning how to minister in a cross-cultural environment, cross-cultural context. And that commission, Jesus gave us our Lord in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is to all of us. You can go to Atlanta, go to Cleveland, go to New York City, and serve our Lord. So our Judea partnerships are Atlanta, Cleveland, New York City. Our Jerusalem is here locally through your BCM. Thank you for the partnership you share there, the work you do through your association and disaster relief and other ministries. Then our, our Samaria partnership from the state convention perspective is in Canada. Now, Canada, and most of Canada, is less than 2% evangelical. 
which qualifies it, according to our International Mission Board, as an unreached people group. 38 million people live in Canada, about the same size as California, our neighbor to the north. And it is so, so secular, so very lost. We sent about 175 South Carolinians last year to work in Canada. This summer, we have BCM students as summer missionaries in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Fredericton, New Brunswick, and other areas of Atlantic Canada where we partner. We are praying and believing God's going to give us a church planter to put on the ground this fall in Halifax, a city of about a half million on the island of Nova Scotia, which, by the way, I think that hurricane went up through there uh, yesterday. But we're hoping to have someone there and even perhaps other church planting teams seeking to reclaim Canada. You know, the, the church attendance ratio in Canada compared to the U.S., was about the same until about 1960. And after 1960, something happened in Canada. I mean, the, the church attendance ratio just dropped off the shelf. And we're not far behind, but, but Canada's uh, perhaps 10 years ahead of us in embracing secularism. But there's also receptivity to the gospel as we're seeing. In fact, you can minister in a lot of ways in Canada, one of our folks is taking a bear hunting team every year, and they've actually led some bear hunting guides to faith in the Lord. There's all kind of ways to minister. Now, guys, I know you'll jump at that one, but you've got to minister while you're there. You can't just hunt bear or hogs. you also got to share the gospel. And folks are getting saved when they serve in that regard. And so Canada is our mission from a Samaria perspective. And then our last perspective, the uttermost parts, how do we get the gospel to folks that have no access to the gospel, who have never heard of Jesus? How, how do we do that? Well, we do it by sending traditional missionaries. We do it by equipping, by equipping others who have a variety of skills to serve. A few years ago, I was privileged to preach at our, one of our annual meetings for our missionaries, IMB missionaries in the East. And after one of the services, I met with a, a retired couple, and uh, they were retired school teachers. Uh, she had had major cancer surgery. He had had major heart surgery. But they were there as retired school teachers taking, teaching English in a Southeast Asia country as volunteers. And they were teaching English to Buddhist monks and sharing the gospel through teaching English and leading monks to Christ. And don't think you can't serve. Uh, don't automatically rule yourself out from even the uttermost part of the earth opportunity to minister because God has a place for each of us and wants us to be faithful in service to Him. We're partnering right now in New Delhi, India. New Delhi is a city of about 25 million people. Not even 1% evangelical. Again, our state population is 4.8 million. New Delhi City is 25 million people. And there is mass migration across the world of people moving to cities in search of jobs. And literally, in many cases, just almost live on top of each other. Slums everywhere. And we can go in and, and because we're American, we draw a crowd and and can share the gospel, and people embrace Christ as Savior. And, and even though we're not even 1% evangelical, there are pastors there to partner with, and they'll start house churches. And we're seeing this happen. We've got several churches now partnering in that regard. But our Lord very clearly says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, 
Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now, many of you can't go. Many of us can't go for a variety of reasons. But one way you do go is through giving through the cooperative program, giving through Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, Jenny Offering, and, and you do your part in participating as you give in that regard to fulfill the Acts 1-8 perspective. But don't rule out that just because you give, that eliminates the option to go. And what a joy and privilege it is to, to see folks who've never heard about Jesus embracing Jesus as Lord. And until he comes, and it could be very soon, it could be a long time, until he comes, that is his wonderful commission to us. And until he comes, we are to remain and grow in being spirit-filled and his witnesses empowered to witness through the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. There is no retirement for the believer. So God calls us home. We are to be found faithful. Whether we're young or old or all points in between, God calls us to faithfulness. He's faithful. In fact, the last hymn we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is so wonderful and true. I hope he can say that about us. Great is our faithfulness as well. I, I've uh, enjoyed watching some of the soccer tournament going on, the global soccer tournament, and love athletic events. I remember, though, in the Olympic Games back in the 1960s, I believe it was 68, the Mexico City Olympics, the marathon was being run. And in the marathon, you, you, you run your first lap inside the Olympic Stadium, then you uh, run the other miles and miles out in the city, and then you return and you run your final lap inside the Olympic Stadium, you cross the finish line, and winners are recognized, and national anthems are played, and medals are presented. And so in, in that Olympic game in Mexico City, they had the first lap inside the stadium. They ran out, the runners ran out in the stadium for the remaining miles, and they re-entered the stadium. But while they were running out in the city of Mexico City, one of the runners stumbled, fell, and injured himself very badly. The rest of the runners, the pack, just, just left him and continued with the race. And they came and ran their final lap inside Olympic Stadium and crossed the finish line. Winners were recognized, national anthems plays, medals presented. And folks were about to go home, but they saw one lone injured runner enter the stadium and pretty much drag himself around the stadium for his last lap, obviously badly injured. And then he collapsed after crossing the finish line. His name was John Asawi from Tanzania, Africa. Many ran to his aid to assist him and ask him, why, why, did you, why did you keep running? Obviously, you're badly injured. Why did you keep going? And John Asawi of Tanzania said, my country, Tanzania, did not send me to the Olympic Games to start the race. My country sent me to finish the race. And that's what Jesus expects of us. We start at conversion and we run. But sometimes along the ways we get distracted or discouraged or defeated and we drop out. Sometimes we voluntarily place ourselves on the sidelines or up in the stands. And sometimes we become critical and just watch others and make our commentaries about how they're doing when we, we ought to be our 
on the field of competition ourselves. The question for us when Jesus says, if you're spirit-filled, if you have my power and dwelling inside of you, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The question I ask you this morning and leave with you this morning, are you running? Are you in the race? How's it going? How's it working for you? God expects us all to run. God expects us all to serve. God expects us all to cross the finish line. And when we do, we will hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. May we pray together.